It was seven years ago when I left Sydney, Australia and moved here to Canada. Um, you know, it was, it was a great place to be born and raised. It was an amazing country and I have great memories. And I'm, all my family is still there at this moment. So I have the chance to always sort of go back as well. But you know, but sometimes with good memories, there's also really tough and difficult ones as well. And because this is the first time that you're hearing from me, what a great you know, way to introduce myself by telling you a little bit about who I am. So where I grew up with the difficult memories that I was mentioning before, you know, I grew up in a place where racism was rampant. And, you know, I got bullied for actually a lot of my younger years. And so that set me on a very, like, particular path. And so I'll give you a glimpse into what that path sort of looked like for me. I was first arrested at the age of 13. And at 13, I remember, and look, I was, I was doing things I wasn't supposed to do. And so I remember very clearly, and I have this, this very vivid memory of that first time. And at 13, I remember getting arrested and the, the cops throwing me to, in the back of the police wagon. And when they threw me in there, unknowing what was on the outside of the wagon, they drove me, what later I soon come to find out was the back of the police station. So they drive me there and then I exit the police wagon and there are about five to seven police officers that are sort of welcoming me out. And as I step out of the wagon, I'm then led to the back of the police station, to the rear entrance. And so these police officers are surrounding me and I'm in, I'm in the dead center of them as we're walking. And then I remember as we're walking, I get a kick to the back of me. And I fall to the floor. And I was in a daze and kind of shocked and confused about what was going on. And all I can remember is people giggling in the back. And then one of the officers, all I could hear him say was, get up. And I didn't react right away because I was so confused and so shocked by what had happened. And he repeats it. I said, get up. And as I get onto my hands and knees and sort of started to push myself up, I get another kick and I'm back on the floor. And a couple more times this happens. And at 13, they throw me into a cell. They call my mother to bail me out. And as soon as I see my mother, and we lock eyes, I just burst into tears. And mum knew something was wrong, so she asked me what, was, what had happened. She went into such a rage, she, she demanded to see the sergeant, the, the guy who was in charge of all these officers. And she said, hey, your officers beat my son. And he looks my mother dead in the eye and says, prove it. And that's when I knew I could no longer trust anyone to lead me or any type of authority. You know, the, the term, uh, you know, absolute power corrupts absolutely. That was ringing true for me at that stage. So I came to the ultimate conclusion at the age of 13. You know who the best person is to lead me? Is me. 
Look, I was so lost and so angry at the world at that time, at that time, at the age of 13. It led me on this path of, I eventually became a, a heroin dealer. I eventually started to, you know, use it myself. It led to a path of absolute hatred and evil. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the money, the women, the violence, the hate, all of that. I enjoyed it. And eventually that, that path put me behind bars. So now we've got to be wondering, how did I end up here at Northview? Who was crazy enough to hire me here? Look, if you have any concerns about why I'm here, you can email me personally at jeffbucknam at whatever.com. But seriously, I would love to talk. Please contact me. would love to get to know us as a church and you individually as well. But like, so I remember a lot of things, but I also remember my first time coming to Canada, especially interacting with Mennonites. Because in Australia, I never had met a Mennonite in my life until I came here. Look, it was like, if you understand my past in Australia, that's like and meeting then a Mennonite family. That's like going from a horror movie to a Disney movie. And so this is why it's so vivid in my memory of why I remember, you know, being introduced to a Mennonite family and them inviting me over for, for dinner for the first time. Look, this wonderful, this very particular Mennonite family had invited my wife, Laura, and I over for dinner. And as they invited us for dinner, uh, they soon told me that they were going to serve us, if you want to guess, pierogies. Now, for Laura and her family, this was no big deal. Laura, my wife, was born and raised where, you know, pierogies was, was the norm. For those of you who don't know my, part of my wife's story, um, my mother and father-in-law, uh, when they escaped uh, the Vietnam War in 1975, you know how they got to Canada? It was a Mennonite family who sponsored them over. It was a Mennonite family that deeply connected with my mother and father-in-law who understood what it knew to be an immigrant, to leave a country that was worn, torn on being, you know, destructive to itself. And then my parents embraced, you know, Canada as their home. So Laura knew everything from pierogies to salt and pepper and all those things. But my response was, what's a pierogi? And so this host graciously and excitedly took me to the kitchen, took me to this big pot of boiling water, and there was something inside. She pulls out one pierogi. She puts it on a plate, puts a dollop of sour cream, and tells me to try it. Look, I was very unsure about the flavor. You know why? Because there was none. But I did what any good Christian pastor would do. I lied. And I said, the pierogi tasted amazing. A couple of weeks later, Laura and I get invited by another Mennonite family to have dinner. And guess what? They served pierogies again. So now my assumption is all Mennonites just eat pierogies. But there I am. And honestly, I was not looking forward to having another pierogi. But I was going to be in my best behavior and I was going to eat it and enjoy it. 
But then as I sit there, I remember sitting at the dinner table and I hear some sizzling in the background and all of a sudden the host comes out with a plate of pierogies. Not just that. But yes, there was sour cream and then there were fried onions and there were green onions on it and there was bacon on it. And just to bring a tear to my eye, Mennonite sausage. How have I lived for 35 years but not really lived at all? Look, and this is what we face when we come to this passage. When we come to this Bible reading, there are, like, there are these two options that seem and sound quite similar, but they're actually quite different. So if you want to open up with me to Proverbs chapter 9, verses 1 to 6, and then from verses 13 to 18. And as you open up, you know, we'll continue as a ter- church to learn from this king who has wrote parts of this book. And you have to remember this king, he has this conversation with God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. And the God of the universe talks to this king and says, hey, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. Not because you're good, but because I'm good. Name it. And so this king, King Solomon, knowing that there are complete, so many other choices out there, he decides, wisdom, I want wisdom. So Solomon, for the first nine chapters, has spent a lot of time sort of thinking through and writing out, you know, like, and trying to convince his children, but then also his people, and, and, and eventually us today, that wisdom is good and needs to be pursued. But within the same nine chapters, you have to remember, he also gives warnings. And at the conclusion of chapter nine, he concludes with a warning. So let me read it for us. Wisdom has built her house. She has set up its seven pillars. She has prepared the meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her servants and she calls from the highest point of the city and let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, come, eat my food, drink the wine I have mixed, leave your simple ways, and you will live, walk in the way of insight. Folly is an unruly woman. She is simple and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious, but little do they know that the dead are there and that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. Look, we might you know, come to the conclusion when it comes to the book of Proverbs that it's like a book for sort of uh, uh, everyday wisdom to help you make the decisions of every day and to make the sort of the right one. And, you know, in chapters uh, 10 to 30, yeah, we could come to that conclusion and you wouldn't be wrong. But if you look at how Solomon concludes chapter 9, when he concludes his section of the book of Proverbs, he's making the point that choosing the invitation between Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly is actually a life and death decision. So where are we going? Where are we going in all this? I've got three things for us. First of all, what is being offered? 
Who is being invited and what do we bring to the invitation? So what is being offered? Who is being invited and what do we bring to the invitation? Okay, so what's being, in, what's being offered here? So when we, we're going to take a look and sort of compare the two. So if you look at verses 1 to 3, you sort of see that Lady Wisdom has built her house. She has done it herself. She has built it from scratch, from the foundations to the top. And then she has also set up seven pillars. Now the seven pillars, the reason why that's important is because the regular house, like a house in those times that you and I would buy, would have no pillars. We wouldn't have the manpower, but it's not just that. We wouldn't even have the money to purchase it. So it's showing that she's quite um, extravagant and well off. And so we know from the outset that Lady Wisdom, she works hard. She's the one that built it. And she, that means she's also invested in the future. No one builds a house just for that day. You build the house for tomorrow and for the years to come. She's invested in the future not just in the present. Then Lady Wisdom, we also know here that she, well, in verse 2, she prepares. She prepares the meat. She doesn't get it. She's got servants, but she does it herself, and she mixes the wine. And she even sets up the table for her guests. She's a great host, and she's welcoming that's why she goes to that trouble to do all that. And then Lady Wisdom, we're told in verse 3, she sends out her servants to invite people to come, you know, to this banquet. And then she herself, she goes to the highest point of the city so that all can hear her proclaim this invitation for all to come to enjoy that, this banquet that she has prepared. And she wants all to know and she wants all to attend. But on the other hand, if you look at verses 13 to 15, we're told that Lady Folly is unruly. This idea of being boisterous and noisy, kind of like screaming, but really saying nothing at all. And then she's also simple. It's the idea of she's quite naive. She's going to think that everybody wants to come because everybody likes her. And then it says that she knows nothing. And she doesn't try to know anything. So basically what it's trying to say is she doesn't care. She doesn't care about anything. She doesn't make care about you or, or me and herself. And Lady Folly, we find out that she sits there in verse 14. She sits at the door. Going to the highest point, then proclaiming. It's like this idea of she's, you know, she's just sitting there on her couch, like people that you and I might know, sitting on the couch. Hey, babe, get me some potato chips while I'm watching the game. That's what she's like. She's just sitting on her couch. It's telling us that she's lazy and completely uninterested. Look, let me give you a little glimpse into my marriage. What you need to know right off the bat is this, is that um, I'm not a great host, okay? And I don't care to be. But my wife, on the other hand, that's one of her gifts. Her gift is hospitality. She loves it. She loves having people over and serving them. And so on one occasion, we had invited a family that we met for the first time at, on, on a Sunday. 
they, they were a brand new family to our church. I, I, I approached them and said, hey, why don't you want to come over for lunch? And so as they graciously accepted the invite, Laura had told me that her and the girls had a prior commitment, but that would be home. That would make it. They might be a little late, but they were making. So I had to go and prepare lunch for this brand new family to come to my house. And so as Laura goes and does her thing, I remember going home and this family, and we're, we're in Calgary at the time, they come in, they've got their winter coats on because it's freezing over there. And as they walk in the door, I don't hang up their coats. You know why? Have you seen my arms? You want me to go now bench press? your coat and put into my closet. You can't do it yourself. And so as I walk in with their winter coats into my kitchen, I start to put out the, you know, the, the best paper plates and the best plastic cutlery. Note the word I used, people, the best. And there I laid it out for them. And the food comes, because I didn't want to cook it myself. And so I ordered food, it comes in, I lay it on the table with the best cutlery and the best plastic plates, I mean paper plates, and there we are. And the father looks at the food and then says to me, oh, Pastor Vin, I'm so sorry. I know I said we could eat anything, but what you ordered, if we ate it, we would die. And uh, without a word of a lie, as soon as that happened, Laura walks into the kitchen. She puts everything aside. And she serves and prepares a brand new meal from scratch for this family. What am I trying to say? First of all, there are no deaths when Lady Wisdom serves. But what are the first few verses actually trying to teach us here? It tells us through Lady Wisdom's invite is that she's inviting us to the very best banquet, the very best of herself. What she's saying is as you come, as you kind of join in, you know what? It's not just you enjoying a great meal. You're enjoying great company. You're enjoying a relationship with me. The host, the one who's prepared all this. This is why in the gospel of John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus can say and does say, hey, I've come to give you life and give it to the full. More than you can even ever expect. Look, if this is your first time here at Northview, I'm so thankful for that, that you're here and like welcome. You're going to meet some great people here. And for those who, if this, if this is you exploring Christianity and what this whole Christian thing is about, you know, here's my, fear, my concern for you and my fear for you. My concern and fear for you is that you're, as you sort of weigh out, you know, this whole Jesus thing and the loss and the gain and all these things, all you're going to think about, all your mind is going to, you know, think, in, think upon is the loss, like the things that you need to give up. But when it comes to following Jesus, the truth is, and I, you know, the truth is this, it's a huge cost in following Jesus. For some of you, it will be devastating. But what you will gain by taking this invitation will be so much more. It doesn't even compare Look, that would be like my family and I, when we first drove into Abbotsford, and it was a, there was a section of Abbotsford where my four-year-old daughter goes, Ew, Daddy, what's that smell? And imagine if I turned around just because of that smell. I would miss out, my family would miss out on the beauty of being here in, in Abbotsford and Mission. And so who's being invited to this? 
Look, when you compare verses 4 to 16, we find out that Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly say the exact same thing, which is, let all those who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, look, both courts are the simple. So who are the simple? The word translated here is like the more idea of like open-minded, the beginner who lacks commitment. Think about a person who's sort of like easily swayed, right? Sort of goes back and forth, but in both core to the ones with no sense. Who are those who have no sense? The term better understood here is the lack of understanding about life, about everything. So based on this, we are the simple. We are the ones who have no sense. Let me put it to you like this. If you didn't know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. And so experts in the health field to politicians to the the greatest church leaders. No one knows when this will end. No one knows what's going to truly is going to happen. We are all from the most educated to the poorest of us. We are all equally and completely helpless to this. We lack the foreknowledge to see, you know, what would do, this would do to us, spiritually, emotionally, physically. And you even got idiots out there with their conspiracy theories about if you just drink bleach, it'll cure you. We're all on the same playing field. We are all completely helpless. So the invitation is to all. You and I. So what do we do with this invitation? So you have Lady Wisdom on one side, who's had this perfectly built house. She's preparing the best meat. She's mixed the wine. And part of mixing the wine is to add more flavor. She sends out her own servants to invite people to her home to enjoy this meal. And she herself goes to the highest point of the city to make this proclamation, this invitation. Then you have Lady Folly, on the other hand, on the other side, who knows nothing, sits lazily on her couch, calling out to anyone who will listen. Now, enter you and me into this picture, into this story. Supposedly coming in clean, free, uncontaminated. But the truth is, we come into this picture, into this story, tainted, corrupted, contaminated, scarred. Many will believe that we enter this story with what people might call free will. The idea that you and I can make the right choice anytime. But the Bible teaches us what theologians, theologians are guys with big heads, so Pastor Kyle Meeker, what they would call, what we would call original sin. We enter every story where our wheels are completely unfree. And the obvious choices that we should, be, that we should make can be difficult and impossible. There's a song I hate to admit that I like, and it's by the artist Selena Gomez. If you don't know who Selena Gomez is, she used to date Justin Bieber. If you don't know who Justin Bieber is, no one can help you. But anyway, she sings this song, and the song is called The Heart Wants What It Wants. And the basic idea of the song is this, is that she's, she's sort of in love with this guy. 
and her friends and her, they've, they, they're having this discussion about this guy is not good for you. The relationship is, is quite toxic. But she concludes every time, you know, even though she's fighting this battle, she concludes every time that, but, but the heart wants what it wants. See, just knowing the right thing isn't enough. There's a deeper issue that needs to be dealt with and the issue, the Bible would say, is the heart itself. I know that Hollywood has told you to go and follow your heart. But the Bible, on the other hand, will tell you your heart is corrupt. Don't follow it. Don't let it lead you. So what do you bring to the invitation? You bring a corrupt heart. That's what you bring. See, if we were wise at all times, we would easily respond to Lady Wisdom's invitation and enjoy the wine and the meat. But we don't. And then verse 17, it tells us this. When she says, hey, stolen water is sweet and food eaten in secret is delicious. Basically, what she's saying is this. Look, there's pleasure in sin. Come, come the way you want and stay that way. Do whatever you want to do. Be whoever you want to be. There's no need for change. I'll just completely accept you. Look, throughout my time in gangs and on the street and all that, what I learned um, from other people just like me in that circumstance was that we would use the wisdom that we attained when we got caught by police. We use that wisdom and learn how to ne- not get caught again. Oh, so that's what the police do to trap me, to, you know, for me to do this. I'll avoid that trap and I'll, I'll you know, better up on them. And I've had guys that have been in prison, they're 50, 60, 70 years old, doing the same thing, thinking they can outsmart the cops every single time. Look, I know that might not be your experience, but maybe for many of you, it might go something a little like this. Look, you and I know that during this time, there are too many of us drinking more than we should. Alcohol sales have gone through the roof. The government has deemed this uh, essential service. So you have every excuse under the book to keep going. And you've convinced yourself that I got my drinking under control. Besides, I deserve this. This is a really tough time. This is a pandemic, Vin. Just one more glass. It's not going to hurt anyone. Or you and I know that when things get difficult behind closed doors with our families, with the ones that we love. And things are starting to feel tight and small and whatever. And people that we love are starting to frustrate us. We start to use our words to belittle them, to make them feel small so that you can feel big. But somehow you make it okay because stuck in the house, you know, with all these people would drive anyone insane. And if they would shut up for two seconds, we would all just get along. Or there's mental health issues. And you're talking to yourself internally. You're thinking, I can get through this. I just need more faith in Jesus and he will make it right. I wish I could tell you to completely stop it. But the truth is, Lady Wisdom in the book of Proverbs would tell you otherwise. 
and would tell you, hey, don't let alcohol lead you. Don't let that be the authority of your life. She would also encourage you, hey, be patient when you're in that house with the people that you love that frustrate you. Be patient in those times of anger and frustration. Be wise. Go out the door. Walk. Lady Wisdom would also encourage you who are suffering through mental illness right now during this pandemic. Go talk to someone. Go see a doctor. Look, I was not hired here at Northview because I'm caring. But the great news is we actually have care pastors here. We have a whole department that would love to walk with you. And don't get me wrong. Myself and other pastors would walk with you too. But we have people who specialize in that. See, ultimately what you see here is the invitation that, that wisdom demands is a decision to, to grow, a change of direction, whereas folly demands nothing from you. And then verse 18, we have a, the warning here, the ultimate warning. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. Look, I can still remember very clearly the moment when Jesus revealed himself to me. Convincing me that I know you don't trust leadership, Vin. I know you don't trust authority. I know you like to, for you to lead you. But look at your life. Look where you leading you has led you. A complete disaster. Nothing's gone right. And then Jesus is inviting, hey, let me lead you. You can trust me. I'm a good shepherd. I'm good because my character is good. And I respond to his goodness by following him. So to sort of conclude, how do we respond to this invitation? First thing, fear the Lord. See, what do we do when we realize we're the fool, the idiot, the simple, the no sense? Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 tells us, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. That's the place you start. In other words, be in awe, be in wonder of who Jesus is and what he has done. Because the gospel tells us that Jesus chose wisdom every time. Even though there were other options for him, he chose wisdom every single time. And the gospel tells us by his death and resurrection, he redeems all the, all the foolish choices that we've made, that where those choices have hurt ourselves and hurt others. Fear the Lord. Look, let me put it to you this way. If Wayne Gretzky, I know nothing about hockey, but I've heard the name of Wayne Gretzky. If Wayne Gretzky walked into the church building, into your living room, into your basement, into your cabin, if he came in and joined this service, you would be sort of be in shock and awe that he's there. When service is done, you'd run to him and ask him for a, a selfie. And some of you might be desperate enough, you grab your baby and give it to him and say, can you sign my baby? But if Jesus walked into the room, you know what would happen? You would be on your knees. That's fearing the Lord. That's being in wonder of who he is and what he has done. And you know what that should do for us practically? It should free us from the fear of always making the wrong choices every day. But it should always remind us that being led by Jesus is the best and wisest choice that you can make. Secondly, and last thing, 
work at wisdom. Work at it. Go after it. See, Proverbs chapter 17, verse 24 says, A discerning person keeps wisdom in view, but a fool's eyes wander to the ends of the earth. Pursue it. Work at it. Chase after it. Fight for it. Read about it in scriptures. Study the wisdom of God in scripture. Dwell on it daily. Talk about it with others, especially those who are wiser than you. Ask questions and then listen and learn. Especially ask questions to those who have made mistakes so they can tell you how God has redeemed those mistakes. A 19th century Baptist preacher by the name of Charles Spurgeon puts it like this. But wisdom is not knowledge and we must not confound the two. Wisdom is the right use of knowledge and Christ's gospel helps us by teaching us the right use of knowledge. So if you are simple, just like me, know that Jesus is inviting you to his banquet that he has prepared because he's good. So come empty to be filled with the wisdom of God. Let's pray. Jesus, we want to thank you because of out of your goodness, You have prepared everything that we need for us. Not because we are good, but because you are. We want to thank you for the invitation. And and I would ask there will be many that would respond to this invitation. Not to be led by foolishness, but to be led by your goodness. And so Jesus, we come before you humbly and with great and thankful hearts. Jesus, thank you for your wisdom that you chose it every single time to the point of the cross. And in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.